and we're going to head to Ruth chapter 2. And Lord, speak to us tonight, we ask, out of your word, a great and mighty and abundant things, Lord, that our hearts would be filled and overflowing in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' precious name. Now, Naomi, in verse 22, chapter 1, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, came with her, and they returned at the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley harvest started the day after Passover. And so you had seven days of unleavened bread, then you had the Passover, and then immediately started the barley harvest for 40 days. And then if you started at the beginning of unleavened bread, went through Passover in those 40 days, it would be 50 days when unleavened bread started, 40 days after Passover, would be the day of Pentecost, which would begin the wheat harvest. And penta meaning 50. So 50 days from the beginning of unleavened bread would come the day of Pentecost. So again, in type, when was it that Naomi and Ruth came? After the resurrection. After the Lord had done the work, they could be accepted back into his abode. So it's a beautiful typology there we see as, uh, again, the prodigal having left, having come back. How did, it, how did it happen? How did it come to pass? It came to pass by Jesus Christ dying and raising again. It came after Passover. <clears throat> now in chapter 2, verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz, which means strength, or mighty man of war, or mighty man of the law. It means several different things. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose side I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, Ruth, who probably with Naomi at one time with Elimelech, was very wealthy. She married into wealth. But in those days, women could not hold on to land, and women could not hold on to wealth. So they probably lost it all once the husbands died. They lost everything. And so they're coming back into the promised land, and Ruth, we see, she's a very humble person. She doesn't say, huh, you know, I'm too wealthy to go glean with the poor. She just accepts it. Was wealthy, now I'm poor, and I've got to go do what poor people do. And over in Leviticus chapter 19, you'll see what poor people did. The welfare system of the Old Testament was far superior than the system we have today. And he says there in verse nine, chapter 19, verse 9, When you reap the harvest of your land, Leviticus 19, 9, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor, the stranger, and I am the Lord your God. So when they went through, they had one pass at whatever they gathered. And he said, when you do it, don't do a great job. When you go through the vineyards, don't try to get every single grape. Just sort of gather what's there in front of you in the bigger clusters, grab it, and, and go ahead. But if you leave stuff behind, that's okay. For the poor. Typically, it's estimated that the farmers would leave about 30% behind. So that was pretty good gleanings for the poor. Also in Leviticus chapter 23, there in verse 22. <coughs> when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap of the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger, I am the Lord your God. And then one more over in Deuteronomy chapter 24. There in verse 19. And when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, so you bundled up a whatever, 
wheat or whatever, you left a bundle out there, and you look over your shoulder and you look back out going, oh man, I left a bundle out there, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So you say, it was God. The Lord knew that I would forget that <clears throat> because God wanted in particular bless a poor person today. So say la vie, uh, what will be will be, and uh, God bless him. Let him have it. And so the next time you go to the park and you forget your favorite sweater, just say, bless some person who gets my sweater. You don't have to sweat over it, you see. Now, if you forget your wallet, that's another thing <laughs> these days with all the credit cards and everything. But anyway, that was the welfare system, and Ruth accepts it. So as a poor person, once a wealthy person, she goes out into the fields, and she says, Naomi, Naomi is old. I, I need to go do this. Now, in verse 3, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers... So she's in waiting, and as they're going through it, she's coming in behind them, gleaning. And she happened, the Bible always does this tongue-in-cheek, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So she had no idea where she was going. She wasn't from Bethlehem. She didn't know anything. She just went out and found the closest field and started doing her thing there. And, and then she found out later that that was the kinsman's property that Naomi had told them about. Now, in the culture of this time, they had these thoughts. Now, as we went through the law, we talked about how they had different concepts, and God didn't overrule them all at once. He regulated them. They had concepts on slavery, and God didn't abolish slavery immediately, but he regulated in such a way that the slave became like the dear, dear friend or long-lost son or daughter or relative. And, and often the slaves wanted to stay because it was such a great experience for them in those six years. He wasn't for them having many wives, but he regulated that those wives could not be mistreated. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible straightens it out. It says slavery is out of the question. The Bible says having more than one wife is out of the question. Well, here's another one they had. They had this concept that you had to have a boy. And you had to have a boy to carry on the family name. Now, in the pagan cultures, they had to have the family name someday to go before their gods and to whatever, depending on the different religion, go before the god for you or, or whatever. And within the Jewish culture, God didn't try to wipe it out immediately. He said, okay, I'll utilize this whole kinsman concept. And so what would happen, you see, is if a guy had a wife and he died, then the brother, even if he was already married, would go ahead and marry his sister-in-law. Yuck. I couldn't imagine that, but this is what they did. So, you know, the one thing you can be sure is that the brothers had a powwow uh, before they married her, you know. It's like, hey, man, if you die, I'm not marrying that thing. You know, you better find a better-looking woman or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> speculating, you know. She's a contentious woman. Go find one sweeter or something. I, I don't know. But uh, the fact was that she would have to marry her. Now, we stumbled across this over in Genesis before the law. Remember, there Ur died, and Onan, his brother, was to marry Tamar, but he would spill his seed upon the ground, it tells us, and God struck him dead because he wouldn't do according what his brother had at what he had promised his brother to do. The Sadducees, they made fun of this law and that they said, if that law is from God, then resurrection can't happen because what if a brother died and it passes on to his next brother and the woman passes on to the next and nobody has kids and it goes through all seven brothers and you get to heaven, whose wife is she? 
what a chaotic mess they're saying it would be on the day of resurrection. Now Jesus pointed out and said, well, you don't know the scriptures, nor do you understand the power of God, nor do you know what heaven's about. In heaven there is no marriage or given in marriage as you know it on earth. It's a totally different concept. And so, again, um, you can see this issue talked about. Now, it's sort of a crazy issue, but we're going to see the Lord utilizing that particular issue to, see, to help us see Jesus and what Jesus would do. And so, so it happened. In other words, it's providence. God arranged it. She thought, mm, I'll take a right. Mm, maybe I should take a left. Um, I'll take a left. And it just so happens, you see, that God providentially, his hand was upon the whole situation. And that's the point we want to see. The providence of God in the midst of it. Just like with Job. Remember when he was having all those physical problems and financial problems and marital problems and, and, and everything came caving in. He knew that God had a sovereign plan for it. And so Job, even though he was in pain physically and although he had lost all his wealth, he said, hey, God knows. God is sovereign. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He understood that God had a sovereign plan for all things. And so as we're going to see, Elimelech was in sin when he went down to Moab. The boys were in sin when they married these Moabite women. It all was wrong, but yet God turned it around for good anyway. And God is able to explain himself, even in the midst of man screwing up and blowing it, we see the providential hand of God. And so now we see this Moabite woman who, woman who shouldn't be there, but the reason she's there is because she married a man that shouldn't have married her. And the reason he married her is because they were in the country of Moab where they shouldn't have been to begin with. So it's a whole line of shouldn't have, you know, they shouldn't have went to Moab, he shouldn't have married her, she shouldn't have come back to the promised land because it said, as we saw this morning, that in Deuteronomy 23.3, it says that no Moabite can enter into the congregation of the people of Israel. But yet, we see this Moabite coming into the congregation of Israel. So all of these things that shouldn't be happening are happening, and what do we see in the midst of it? We see Naomi confessing her sin to God, we see Ruth having faith in God, and God says, I'm going to put my hand on it. Because you've come to me in the midst of this bizarre situation, what tattered, broken lives we often come with to God, don't we? And so here, Ruth and Naomi come with the shattered pieces of their life, and they say, is it too late? <laughs> and with God, it's never too late. And so God begins to take the shattered pieces of Ruth and Naomi's life and providentially by the sovereignty and the grace and the mercy of God began to put together a more beautiful picture, a more beautiful life than ever before. The Bible says that God came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. And so here we see these people have literally screwed up their lives, but they're coming to God and what a beautiful work of art God's going to make out of it. So it happened, right. Clearly the Lord's hand was upon Ruth and they came to that part of the field that belonged to Boaz, happened to be a part of the family of Elimelech. Now in verse 4, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. So Boaz hadn't been out there early in the morning with the reapers. He showed up. He probably had some business in town. And he's finally showing up now as they're, whatever they're doing, reaping, bringing in the harvest. And he comes out and he's this awesome godly guy. And he's just like, guys, the Lord bless you. And all these guys say, the Lord bless you. So we see he was a cool guy. The workers liked him. And we see that he had a respect towards the workers and that he was a spiritually minded guy. And so we already start learning about Moab even, or Boaz, even though we just see a sentence of what he said in five words, the Lord be with you, but yet we already begin to see what kind of quality and caliber of a person he is. And in verse 5, Then Boaz said to his servants, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Modern translation. What a good-looking gal. 
Where did she come from? <clears throat> so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back from, with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheep. So he heard, she overheard him questioning, and she's like, Please, you know, don't send me away. I know I'm a Moabitess. And, and he wasn't, she wasn't sure exactly what his response would be. And she basically begs him, Please let me reap. So she came and has continued from the morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. And Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, you Will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young woman. So he says here very clearly, not only do I, can you, do you have my permission to, to glean here, I'm asking you, I'm begging you in return, don't go anywhere else. You stay here with all of the reapers within my fields. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? So I've told them because you're a, a widow and because you're a Moabite woman and the Moabite women were known to be immoral women. If you go back to Numbers chapter 25, remember there <clears throat> where Balaam tried to curse the children of Israel, he couldn't. But he gave counsel to them, we find out in the New Testament. He gave counsel unto Balak, saying, Have the Midianite, those Moabite women, go down there and seduce the men, saying, Hey, let us show you how we worship our God. And it was immoral. And they would worship their God in sexuality and, and so forth. And, and so these Moabite women were known to have practiced, you know, basically being a prostitute to worship their God. And so... He says, and I'll tell the young, women, or young men to leave you alone as well. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So although you're a gleaner, not a reaper, he, says, go, she, he said, go ahead and use the water and drink as if you were working for me and one of my reapers. The other gleaners can't do that, but you can do that. You're as if you're a part of uh, my reaping team there. And then she fell on her face. I guess she was a little uncoordinated. I, I don't know. No. That's a sign of homage. And she bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. And the Lord repay your work and full reward to be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. I like this. He's not only godly, he's not only a nice guy, he realizes and sees the charitable act she did by hanging out with Naomi and staying with her to support her. And then he says, and also I've heard of your commitment to God. So he realizes now that, as he's heard, she's not a part of the pagan worship of the Moabites, of the Sheremoth. And so he says here to her, and now this God that you've come under. Now remember, what had Ruth seen in the God of Israel? Only cursing. All he had seen is the difficulty brought upon Naomi and the three uh, guys that had died in their lives and, and all of this hardship. But now he says, now may you see the other aspect of God. When you're lined up in obedience and you're living an obedient life, may you see his wings come around you and show you refuge. And I love that. What a great verse, verse 12. That almost became the sermon this morning. Uh, the Lord God reward you in whose wings that you've come under. Beautiful verse, verse 12. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. So here we already see him beginning to wash her in the water of the word as he speaks the word of God to her. And she says, Ah, oh, that's so comforting. Guys, I encourage you to read the Bible to your wives. If you're dating, read the Bible to the gal you're engaged to or dating. 
There's something supernatural. The Bible says that our husband, Jesus, washes us with the water of the word, and the husbands need to wash their wives in the water of the word. There's something so special about reading the word to your wife and then praying together. It's a powerful healing time. And it's scriptural. And so we see as he gives her the word of God and comforts her with the nature of God that she's blessed and she says, Oh man, I'm comforted by these things. And now in verse 14, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your pieces of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And so he says, not only can you have some of the waters with the reapers, but when all the reapers are getting together to eat, you come on over and, and I'll give you some bread and you can dip it. And I'll tell you what, oh, those dips over there in Israel and, and uh, the Arab countries, man, are they good. And that bread, man, that pita bread and those dips and, oh, I... <laughs> I had a, a sister here in our church uh, from Jordan. She brought me some little sandwiches wrapped up in pita bread the other day to our family. And I'll tell you, I, I, I told the kids, I said, I hope you don't like it. And uh, <laughs> they all did, unfortunately. And I'll tell you, I just took one bite at a time and just sat and meditated. <laughs> it, it was like being in heaven for a, a few minutes. It was so incredible so anyway she kept some back to bless Naomi uh, that again shows what kind of woman this woman Ruth was there's no way I could have held some of it back uh, would have had to eat it all right then and there and when she rose up to glean Boaz commanded his young men saying let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her so he said hey if she overtakes you and, and she's not gleaning, she starts reaping, leave her alone. Let her take as much as she wants. Also, let some grain from your bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Now the whole concept of this system was is that people could keep their dignity. Today with our welfare system, you have to lose your dignity. You go down in some line and some very rude person will say, fill in that blanket and do it right, you know, get to the back of the line, you know, and, and, and it just, it's demoralizing. You've got to, to be put down and, and filled less of a person. And it's a charity thing where you're having to, you know, be the scum and they treat you like scum to get some money and it's very demoralizing. And so here, if they said, well, here's some charity, here's, we'll just give you whatever, she couldn't have accepted it in their culture because, again, she, that would have just uh, been degrading to her and putting her down. And so he says to the guys, don't let her know it, but just bless her, you know. As she's going along, getting little bunch, all of a sudden there's a big bundle, wow, yeah, this is great, these guys dropped it, and this is super, you know. And so bless her and let her have lots of extra and then it says, and do not rebuke her. So as she's gathering up the stuff you drop, don't say, hey, I came back, I was coming back to get that. Leave her alone, let her have it. And she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephra of barley. So that was a tremendous amount. And then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So not only did she come back with all of this wheat after she had gleaned, but she also kept back some of the lunch and said, here, here's some lunch for you. So they were very poor. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had um, worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. 
And Naomi said to her, The man is a relative of ours, the one of our near kinsmen. And so we see here Naomi again as she had expected the Lord would bless her as she came back into the promised land and, and knew that now as she's back in the house of bread, Bethlehem, back in Judah, the place of praise, as she's now in the word and worshiping once again, we immediately see the Lord begin to fill her up. Remember, she said, I left full and now I've come back empty. But now we see the Lord filling her back up immediately. The Lord begins to fill her back up and she just says, I'm so blessed of God because we already see his hand of blessing beginning to put upon us. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, Oh, excuse me, I, I left a part out there. And Naomi said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our near kinsmen. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He also also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman and that people do not meet you any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, the Jewish Bible has 22 books, where our Old Testament has how many chapters in the Old Testament? What? 39. Yeah, it's real easy. Just how many letters are in Old? Three. How many letters are in Testament? Nine. Just don't do that again in the New Testament. <laughs> Because there's not 39 in the New Testament, there's 27. And, and, but anyway, for the Old Testament, it's easy. 39. So what happens, you see, is in the Jewish Bible, they put a number of books together. And Ruth is one of five books they put together that they read during the wheat harvest and the barley harvest even today. And amongst that is Esther and, and Ruth. And I have to go back and look over it again. I've sort of forgotten. Uh, Lamentations was one of them. And they read these during the barley harvest. Now in chapter 3, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our kinsman? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So <clears throat> in the evenings, what they would do is they had this, they would build this circle area and they would stack stones up about three feet high, two, three feet high. And then they would have a big crate that they would make out of wood and weigh it down with rocks. Later they'd make them out of metal. But, and then they had all these little holes in them, uh, triangular holes or square holes. And it was like a sheet. Okay, so sort of like a baking pan, but as big as a wagon, you know. And then in it had holes, and then it had a little lip on it. We go to Jerusalem, we'll take you over to Bethlehem and actually show you a threshing floor and show you these things they did. And uh, actually, the guy will demonstrate it and do it. But then they put rocks in it to weigh it down. And so as you put the barley or the wheat on the floor, you spread it out. And then what you do is you run this thing around it. And so sometimes they would just do it by hand and have the young men run around uh, in a circle with it. Or sometimes they would put an ox or something to go around and, and go over and over and over. And what it would do is the weight would knock the head of the grain off of the stalk. And after they had done this, you see, then they would come and they would get their pitchfork and they would throw it up in the air. And then the chaff, of course, would would fly away and then the head would fall back down and they would do this until it filled up and then they would gather it up and then that would be how they separated the wheat from the chaff when you had a lot of it. And so he said tonight that's just so happens that's what he's doing down there so in the evenings they would make a party of it I guess and they'd eat and drink and have a time of threshing out what they had gathered in that day. Therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Don't bother a man 
when he hasn't well ate and drank. I, I'm, I'm the same way. So watch out. Till I've ate, watch out. <clears throat> then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. So this was a, a symbol that Naomi understood that Boaz would understand. So he's laying down, sleeping there, outside or in the barn, wherever he might be. And Ruth would go up, and in those days they had the, the robes and so forth that they would sleep in. And as he's bundled up, just go grab his robe that he's tucked down uh, by his feet and undo it and just sort of use it as a part of a blanket and cover up, showing that, hey, you need to be my covering. And this was the symbolism that took place. So one, it was a sign of humility to Ruth to do this. Number of two, it's a sign of, hey, this is your legal right. I am as good as yours right now because you are my kinsman redeemer. So technically, he had an obligation to marry her. And this is what the point is that, uh, that Naomi's making. So with this in mind... You see, it wouldn't have been immoral or unethical or even too forward in this society. Because according to the law, he has the legal right to take her as his wife. So as far as on the law books, she's as good as married to Boaz. And that's the point that uh, Naomi wants to make to him. And then he'll let you know about the traditions and where it goes from there. And so she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight, so he didn't even sense that she was there for quite some time, so she was just very quiet and very gentle and laid down there. And about midnight that the man was startled, probably kicked her or something, I don't know, <clears throat> and turned himself, and, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a near kinsman. So she comes back and says, Hey, I'm here because you have a legal duty to me to marry me and raise up kids unto my husband's name. And he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. And so he says, Man, I thought you blessed Naomi. <laughs> I'm the one who's getting blessed. Here's this young, good-looking gal, and she's not running after the money. She's not running after some young hard body. She's more than willing to say, I'll do the virtuous thing of marrying a kinsman to raise up children after the name of Naomi's sons who died. And so, again, there's just no end to the willingness and the submission of this woman and he said, boy, and besides that, I get a great deal <laughs> and that I get you. So, man, don't worry. I'll do all that I'm supposed to do from here on out. Now, if you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 through 9, let's look at that law. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 through 9. If brothers dwell together, Deuteronomy 25, verse 5, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed in the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brothers refuse to rise up 
a name to his brother in Israel, he will not perform the duty of my brother's, my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed." Now, in the culture of that time, the sandal, or your foot, and where it trotted was very symbolic for a few reasons. One is that God had told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as Joshua, wherever you put your foot, that land will become yours. And so, the real problem here, you see, is, is that the tribes had the land broken up into sections. And so now this man had a section of land within the tribe of Judah, and it happened to be down in Bethlehem, but women couldn't, again, own property. And so Naomi and Elimelech, they would lose their portion, and eventually it would get divided up amongst all the relatives, and they would lose their portion. Also, in many of societies, even today, you know, we flip people off with the finger or whatever, sort of a crude gesture. In many cultures today, they'll simply turn and show you the bottom of their foot. Or if they're really angry, they'll take off their shoe and they'll flash it at you. Did you see that guy? He flashed his shoe at me. And it's the same symbol. And so she's basically saying a couple of things. One is that the land that you were unwilling to help me keep, may God take your land away as well. So sort of a curse on him saying, I'm losing my land, may you lose your land as well. Where your foot's been, may you lose it. And secondly, it's a dishonor by saying, where's your shoe? If your shoe is gone, it's, it's the, the symbol is, again, you took your shoe off and you were trying to tell somebody something evil with your shoe. And so by her having this shoe, it was a disgraceful thing, looking at the bottom of the shoe. And so he's, that's the thing he's saying, is that you are disgracing me by doing this. And so she spits at him in the face. And uh, again, with spit at that time as well as today in our culture is a, is a very serious thing of getting spit on. And so anyway, going back now over to chapter 3, verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Verse 12 of Ruth, chapter 3. Now it is true that I am your near kinsman. However, there is a kinsman nearer than I. So Naomi and Ruth didn't know this. She probably felt a little silly now, getting all covered up and all like that. There's somebody else that's actually obligated Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of the near kinsman for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So he says here, stay here. I don't want to bum Naomi out. She doesn't need to know. She's already had enough grief. I don't want you to go back home and say, there's another kinsman. I should have covered up with another guy. Sorry, Naomi. Instead of bumming her out, just stay here tonight. Let me deal with it in the morning, and then we'll let Naomi know either way what happens. Now, I think Boaz had a pretty good feeling that this guy wouldn't go for it, or this guy's wife wouldn't go for it. <laughs> Somebody wasn't going to go for it. I think he had a really strong hunch. So, in verse 14, So she laid at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So he tells the guys, Don't say anything to anybody about this. She leaves early in the morning, for most of the guys are up. Also, he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, uh, he measured six ephras of barley and laid it on her, then she went into the city. So instead of her having the stress of having to stay out there and keep um, gathering the wheat all day because they needed the money, they needed definitely uh, the sustenance of what that could bring, instead of her having to glean all day and be all tired out because of the events and because they were up 
at midnight talking for a good while. He says, you know, instead of you being all tired and wore out and having to go all day tomorrow, just let me go ahead and give you some wheat as if you had gleaned all day. And so he's really setting her up so she can just go home and get some sleep and be with Naomi and comfort her during this uh, stressful time of trying to figure out legally what would happen with uh, Ruth. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. Notice he did, she didn't tell him all that he had said to her. And she said, These six efforts of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. He wants you. <laughs> and uh, you don't have to worry. He's going to do everything he can to get you. Naomi was a wise woman. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the near kinsman of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Hey, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. So Boaz didn't want to look all anxious, you know, because this guy might try to get some money out of Boaz or something. So, you know, when you go to a car lot, you don't say, oh, this is the car I have to have. You know, you don't do that. You know, you won't get a good price. And so Boaz, you know, is just sort of hanging out. He's the rich guy. He's got men to run things. And he's sort of hanging out, whittling there, or, you know, eating a falafel, whatever he does. And uh, along, con along comes this guy, he's like, hey, how you doing, man? Come on over here. Let's talk a minute. So trying to be real casual. And again, in those days, when we go to Israel, we'll go to an area of Dan, and you can actually see the way the cities were laid out at that time. But what you would have was the gate of the city, and then it was sort of like a maze, some twists and turns. And it was pretty wide, about a wide of this section of chairs over here. And the idea was is that if they ever had somebody raid and they came in to try to conquer, you just couldn't go straight into the city. You had to turn and, and it gave men time to shoot arrows and kill them as they had to slow down to get into the city. But also they would build right into the walls a little bench all the way around inside the city. And that bench was preserved for the judges and the rulers of that city. And so you can read about in Proverbs 31, where the Proverbs 31 wife, she takes care of everything so her husband can go set at the gates of the city. In other words, don't worry about everything. You just go be the wise man and go set at the gates of the city. So there's a few reasons Boaz was there. One, he needed legal counsel. Secondly, he knew this guy had to come by there to go into the city. And so... Uh, he's sitting there in the, in the bench there and all the wise men are talking and giving counsel and doing their wise thing, their wise guy thing. And then in verse 2, he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they're all happen to, they're sitting around him and they sat down. And then he said to the near kinsman, um, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belongs to our brother Elimelech. Now in those days... You could sell the property, if, as you go into the law, if the property was in the city, you could sell it, and, and for an entire year, you could go buy it back anytime you wanted. So if you had the money, you could get your house back. If you didn't have that money in a year, you lost it. But when it came to land, when it came to property outside, you could buy it, but it was only theirs until the year of Jubilee. And on the year of Jubilee, everybody had to give back everybody's property. Everybody had to give everybody's land back to them according to how it was split up. And so he says, you know, before they left, evidently, Elimelech had sold it and so forth. And he says, I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, oh, I'll redeem it. More land. All right, I want it. Great, I didn't know that land was available. I want it. Then Boaz said, oh, okay, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. 
and the near kinsman said, oh, I can't redeem it for myself, then lest I ruin my own inheritance or, you know, get banged in the head by a frying pan for my wife. And uh, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, or I cannot redeem it. So he said, hey, help me out, Boaz. Would you help me out? Would you, would you do it instead? You know, Boaz evidently was a, you know, a wealthy single guy, the, the one that everybody wanted in town probably. And so he goes, hey, you, you know, why don't you do it? And now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was an attestation in Israel. So really, Ruth should have been there doing this, but remember, she was a Moabitess, and if you want to get technical, she wasn't even supposed to be in the land. So the law sort of breaks down. It doesn't really work because... If she came and said, well, give me your shoe. This is my right, and spit in the face. And he says, hey, you know what? You're a Moabitess. We can go back to Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. You're not even supposed to be here. Get out of the land. Get out of the country completely. And not only will I make you get out of the country, I'll buy that land, and I don't have to marry anybody. And that's what he could have done. So Boaz knew that, so he didn't want to push the issue. He just simply said, okay, let me, let me have your sandal. He didn't spit on him anything because he liked the idea, you know. I want to marry this gal. Therefore, the near kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was uh, Chilon's and Malone from the hand of Chilion and Malone's from the hand of of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malone, I have acquired as my wife to raise up the name of the dead on uh, his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of this place. You are witnesses this day, and all the people who are at the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, and the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom tamed because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So they basically say, Boaz, you're an awesome guy. You're doing a great thing here. And may God bless you like, remember the mothers of Judah, Okay, the mother of Judah, Rachel and, and Leah, may, may, may you be blessed from their lineage. So they, those were sort of the key figures in their tribe of Judah. May God bless you like them and multiply you as God's multiplied their offspring. And as Judah gave, caused Tamar to have children and, and children were raised up after her, Perez was raised up after her son's name, may you raise up a name, not just any name, but a famous name. May what you're doing and the offspring that you're giving unto Malone, may it be just not a regular name, but a famous name and a special person be raised up out of Bethlehem because of what you're doing. And let me tell you, God heard these men's blessings and God blessed these people as these elders had put his hands and prayed and blessed and asked that this would happen and so it did. Because as we're going to find out, that Ruth was the grandmother of King David. And if you go over to Matthew chapter 1, you'll find this Moabite woman there. In Matthew chapter 1, as the lineage of Jesus Christ according to the flesh. So it's pretty neat as we see the whole picture come to light here. And there in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth... And she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a near kinsman, a goel, a redeemer. The word there in the Hebrew for near kinsman or kinsman redeemer is the word goel, G-O-E-L. And it's also the word translated in the New Testament, redeemer. And may his name be famous in Israel. And indeed, it would become so. 
And may he be to you as a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has bore him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became uh, a nurse to him. Also the neighbor uh, woman gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, which means worshiper. So he became a worshiper. And boy, did King David become a worshiper and writing all those psalms. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amadab. Amadab begot Neshon. Neshon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. And we see the same lineage over in Matthew chapter 1. So evidently this little baby, and again in the Hebrew culture, they wouldn't name the kid right away. They would give it a year or two. And they would just watch if something distinguishing came out. And evidently this little boy became just a real singer, a real worshiper. And we see that as it drifted down, probably to Jesse and then down to David. And how David was a worshiper, invented a number of different instruments and constantly just awakened the dawn with worship. Well, how does this relate over into the New Testament? You see, Boaz is a type of Christ. Naomi and Ruth are us. We're the ones that have been backsliders. We're the ones who have drifted away from God down to the land of Moab. We're the ones that life turned hard and death and decay and hardship and difficulty and affliction were upon us because of our sinful ways. And we came back into the land and the best we could do was be paupers. But a hero came on the scene. And it couldn't be just anybody. It had to be a kinsman. Jesus, you see, became man that he could redeem man. It says in Hebrews, because he came in the likeness of human flesh, he became man, therefore he could stand in the place of man. Because he was God, what he would do would not be done for just one person, but for all men, for all times. Turn over, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the title deed was given up. They sold the title deed like Elimelech had sold the title deed of his land. So Adam and Eve sold the title deed of their land over to Satan. And that's why the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. That's why he said to Jesus, bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Why could Satan do that? Because he owned them. How? Because he was able to get them from Adam and Eve, they lost the title deed and it was taken over by Satan when he caused them to fall. Well, it doesn't remain there because John, as he's having this heavenly scene, he sees the whole thing before him. And in chapter 5 of Revelation, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. The title deed of earth. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the, and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll, to loosen its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though, notice, it had been slain. We're going to come back to that. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. 
Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the twenty-four elders, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you are slain and you have redeemed us, became our kinsman redeemer, you see. There it is. You become our Boaz to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory glory and power to be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever turn now just to the left a few pages to first peter chapter 1 there in verse 13 he says therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We just saw it there in chapter 5 of Revelations. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to your former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your sojourney here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed, notice this now, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from, listen, the aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so we see this aimless tradition of Boaz and, and of the fathers and all the technical thing to you know marry your brother's wife because your brother's dead and raise up kids to him and all this nonsense and go and buy the land back with the gold and the silver and it's yours again. And, and you know, forget all of that. That was a type. That was a shadow. The greater has come. If I was gone on a long trip and as I'm coming down off the plane and on the steps of the plane the sun's behind my back and my shadow falls on the ground and my kids start hugging and kissing the shadow and then I show up and there I'm standing and they keep kissing the shadow they say this is stupid get up I'm right here you don't have to settle with the shadow with Boaz and Ruth we have to settle with the shadow but now the substance has come Christ what did he buy the field with? Silver and gold? No. With his own blood. Who was in the field? A Moabitess? Ruth? No. You. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in the field. And what does he do? He goes and buys the field that he could have the treasure in the field. The kingdom of God is like a pearl that's the greatest pearl that's ever existed what does that man do he goes and sells all that he has that he could buy that one pearl think about it pearls with jews are not kosher they come out of a creature that was an unkosher creature you won't find jews that are kosher wearing pearls they're unkosher so what's the treasure the jews those that god would save but who is the pearl the gentiles and so God has come unto us, you see, and he's bought us. He's been our kinsman redeemer, not a relative of blood, but more importantly, God himself coming into human flesh, a far greater than Boaz. And what did he come to redeem? Us. So what is the response to be? As Ruth, as Naomi to say, oh man, 
to always live in Bethlehem, to always stay in Judah, to always be appreciative and thankful. And there, Naomi, who almost lost everything, now have gained far more than they had to begin with. He says to her as they hold the little baby Obed, and he says to her, you know what? This daughter Ruth is better than seven sons to you. And look at this little baby. How precious. And, and here he is, this little worshiper. He's going to be famous and great. And indeed he was. God has redeemed us not to be the lineage of a Messiah, but to actually be the sons and daughters of God. We're adopted into the family of God. How much far greater. Now what is our response? If out of that came a little Obed, a little worshiper, what should come out of it? A baby? Far more. We are not have a little baby, but we're born again ourselves by the Spirit and by the power of God. What are we to become? We're to become true worshipers of God, not over silver or gold, but over the very blood of Christ. Not some field in Bethlehem, but the whole world has been redeemed, and now we will rule and reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. So let us be sober-minded. Let us not conform ourselves to the sins and our ignorance. Let's wake up and fix our hope fully upon the revelation that is to be brought to us when our kinsman redeemer comes to us and gives us all life. And even right now, we can start walking in a manner worthy of that. But if you say once again, well, thanks Boaz and thanks for the little baby, but you know what, there's another famine, we're going to head back down to Moab. He says, be careful. As he says there, knowing that... Uh, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear. Wake up. Sober up. Unite your heart. As David says, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, take from me this divided heart. Don't let me have a divided heart. Let me have one heart that just fears you and stays on that straight and narrow road that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is that road that leads to life. And so we all need to have this sense about us of just awe, of just going, my goodness, my Redeemer is God's only Son who is willing to come into human flesh, who is willing to pay the price of my Redeemer with His own crucifixion, his own torment, his own blood, and to raise again. And what's the end result of that? My eternal salvation with him, but more importantly, even than that, I get to be with Christ, ruling and reigning with him on earth, as well as to be his child forever and ever in heaven. That is a handful, a mouthful, a mindful, a stomachful to meditate on. Just to set and just to say, Lord, let me try to conceptualize all of this that you have done for me. Jesus Christ is your kinsman redeemer. You, like Ruth, were once an accursed people, but now you've been brought near, as Ephesians 2 tells us, by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near. The wall of division has been broken down. And now you have the same standing as God's own people, the Jews. You have the same standing now by the blood of Jesus Christ. We Gentiles are accepted in. Boy, that's something to set and meditate on. All that God has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this fabulous book of poetry, this wonderful book of you. To see you so clearly as our Redeemer. Lord, as we meditate on this, as we think about this, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, put it deep within our heart. Cause us to fear you. Realizing you're an awesome God that didn't save us with gold or silver or some corruptible, aimless thing or some tradition from our fathers, but by the 
very blood of Christ. That there is none worthy on earth, in heaven, under the earth. There's none that could ever be worthy to redeem our situation. But that Lamb of God, that Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, who came into human flesh, that Lamb as if it were slain, took that scroll. And we thank you and praise and glory and honor be unto you forever and ever. And truly today, Lord, we, our hearts are broken and humbled as we want to lay our face on the ground, Lord, and just say, who are we that you're showing such kindness to us? What great work have you done for us? How are we ever worthy of this? And Lord, we know we're not. You've just made us worthy because you've set your love upon us. And in this we rejoice. We're dumbfounded. We're blown away and we're blessed. We know there's no other person that could do it but you. And you did it. And you did it for worthless Moabites, outcast people, accursed people. But yet you loved us so much that you erased that curse. And by faith and grace and love and mercy, you brought us near into yourself. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so very, very much. Bless this time, Lord, we have in waiting upon you for the empowering of your spirit, for revival. As we thank you for your goodness and meditate upon you, bless us, Lord, here tonight. As we draw near unto you, draw near unto us and be glorified, we ask. In Jesus' precious name. Let's bow our heads just one more second. If you're here tonight and you need Christ to come into your life, right now you can just ask Him. Dear Lord, I need you to be my Redeemer tonight. I need you to be my Savior. Please forgive my sin. Come into my life by your crucifixion, by the blood you shed. Lord, I know that I can now have the free gift of salvation by your work on the cross. And I ask that you would come into my life. That you would be the Lord of all of my life. Strengthen me to read your word and to obey it and to follow you with all my heart. Help me to live for you, Lord. Hmm. Maybe there's some here tonight that haven't been walking in a manner worthy of that calling. As God has called you to be holy as he is holy, to be sober-minded, and but you've been returning to those sins that you did in your ignorance. You haven't been walking and sojourning in fear. Right now, just tell him, God, help me. Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. God, forgive me for going back into that sin as I did in my ignorance. Help me to walk in a manner worthy of you. Lord, help me to be holy as you are holy, to live in that righteous conduct as you have called me to live in. Take my life now, Lord. I dedicate it to you anew and afresh. I surrender those areas of my life that I failed at and ask you to forgive me and strengthen me that I don't go back to those again. Take my life, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.